He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I greet you in the name of Jesus Christ today. We're glad that you have chosen to join us for this week's sermon of the Cape Elizabeth Church of the Nazarene. God's Word is full of timeless truths that are relevant to our lives today. Here's this week's message. Today we are going to uh, finish reading in the book of Galatians. The last couple of weeks we've kind of been looking at what Paul has said about how we live uh, in the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's kind of like laid the foundation. He first of all talked about who he was to be able to share with them who the gospel, what the gospel is. But then he's kind of laid out the gospel as, as a gospel of love and reminding us to love our neighbor and, and, and reminding the church in Galatia not to be judging each other, not to be imposing the law upon each other. And we've kind of just like laid this theological groundwork. And it's, and it's been just kind of this is the basics of the gospel. And we find ourselves going, okay, but how does this mean for me today? How do I live this out? That's where he's going to go here at the end of this chapter. In Galatians chapter 6, he's going to say, now let's talk about what this might look like and how we deal with each other. And so I want to read for you today from Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 to 18. My friends, if anyone is detected in a transgression, you who have received the Spirit should restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Take care that you yourselves are not tempted. Bear one another's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. For if those who are nothing think they are something, they deceive themselves. All must test their own work. Then... Uh, that work, rather than their neighbor's work, will become a cause for pride, for all must carry their own laws, loads. Those who are taught the word must share in all good things with their teacher. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked, for you reap whatever you sow. If you sow to your own flesh, you'll reap corruption from your flesh. But if you sow to the Spirit, you will reap eternal life from the Spirit. So let us not grow weary in doing what is right, for we will reap at harvest time if we do not give up. So then, whenever we have an opportunity, let us work for the good of all, and especially for those of the family of faith. See what large letters I make when I'm writing in my own hand? It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh that try to compel you, uh, that try to compel you to be circumcised, only that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. Even the circumcised do not themselves obey the law, but they want you to be circumcised so that they may boast about your flesh. May I never boast in anything except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision nor uncircumcision is anything but a new creation is everything. As for those who will follow this rule, peace be upon them and mercy and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one make trouble for me, for I carry the marks of Jesus branded on my body. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen. In the 90s, apparel was a big concern. In the church, what you wore was a, a bit of 
discussion, and a lot of people were concerned about that. And, it, and, and what pastors wore to preach was a bit of concern as well. It seemed that the traditional understanding was a pastor should wear what a pastor had been wearing for probably like the last 90, 100 years, at least in the Protestant church. And so there was, there was a segment in the church that thought, you know, a pastor, the right way to preach is making sure they are dressed like they are CEO of the church, and so they have to have their business suit on. For, not that I lived through that time, but I did live through the 90s, but, but the last, the 90 years prior, the, the mindset was, you know, the pastors were, were blending in with their, with their culture by, by getting rid of the robes and putting on the suit coats, by exchanging the collars for neckties. And so, like, that became a part of their... Uh, uh, their apparel, and that, and so like there was, there was a mood, there was a understanding for a long time in the 20th century that hey, there, there, we are dressing for church, and I still remember to this day a, a lady in the church when I was a youth grabbing me by the elbow. She had a firm grip. Arlen Clody, this uh, wonderful elderly lady who all the other teens were scared of because she was not afraid to tell you what she thought. And so she one time grabbed me by my arm, and I had been like running around the church or something, and uh, she, she asked me a question. And she said, Tim, if you had a special meeting with someone important like the president, what would you wear? And I remember that, and I said, well, she, I said, I don't know. She said, you probably dress up. You probably wear a suit or something. Wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? And I said, well, sure. And she said, what about coming into the house of the Lord? And she used this illustration to try to help tell me something that was important to her, which for her it was important indeed to make sure that I wasn't showing up in my grass-stained jeans and, and just, just as sloppy as could be. I would, uh, and, and so from that Sunday on, I remember whenever I got up for church, I was like, okay, well, maybe I'll pick something that's a little less wrinkled today, <laughs> or maybe I won't just pick something up from, that, from the heap on the floor. And so, uh, uh, like, that, that, that kind of stayed with me a little bit. I remember going to college, and one of the things at Olivet Nazarene University that we had is they had a chapel two to three times a week. And so the whole student body was required. This wasn't like optional chapel either. This was required. Whole student body shows up for this like hour-long morning session two or three times a week. And the, the chaplain they had recently got was great because he, he didn't do all the preaching. Instead, he brought in speakers from all over all kinds of different speakers who could relate to college students in, in different ways. And in that first year, I saw a plethora of different speakers, people who, some, absolutely dressed, suit and tie, made sure that uh, uh, they, uh, they were dressed for their station, and they would, do, they would relate with us, and their message was fine. But all the times, I'd find speakers who were, I don't know, in the night, they were, they, were like, uh, they were like the hipsters, Hipsters in the 90s was like the trendiest clothes with a dash of nerdy. Like, like that, and so like that was, that was what they were. Okay, okay, we can do this. Other people, speakers who came in, came in, and it looked like they had just come in off the street. And it was like, okay, I, I don't know what's going on here, but all right, that's fine. And, and one of the things I learned in that first year was, okay, maybe it doesn't matter as much as someone had made me think that it matters. Because I found in all, among all those speakers, no one was any more particularly gifted or, or, or particularly more like um, uh, inspired or something like that. 
And I remember coming back uh, home after my first year of college, and I had felt a call into ministry that first year. And I remember getting a call into ministry and getting licensed by my local church, and uh, I'm going to go to my first district assembly, and my first district assembly... um, uh, I'm going to go and I'm going to get my license. I'm going to get to sit with all the other ministers. And for, what, for whatever reason, I mean, I, I had a reason that made sense to me at the time. And even now, looking back, I'm like, okay, it kind of made sense. But I was kind of just like, I don't know, exerting myself or something. And so I was like, oh, for whatever reason, I'm just going to go as I am. And what as I was in, at that time was very baggy, loose jeans and a really long shirt. I, I might have even had a chain. I'm telling you, 90s apparel was weird. And so, like, so I go to assembly like that, and, as, and we met at the church, and as we're getting ready to go to this district assembly with all the church delegates and all the pastors and stuff coming for, for church business, as I get ready to go, a lady in the church, not Arlen, someone else, just looked at me and goes, you're going to go like that? And, and I could see the scowl in her face. And those two different approaches have kind of just like stayed with me. Like, I, I, I remember that. Both times, in both instances, there was something that was very important for them. There was something that was very important to their understanding of what it meant to worship, what it meant to represent God, what it meant to draw near to His presence. There was something that was important to them in the church. And what I found is, looking back, I am so thankful for who Arlen was as a person, for for her impact on my life, not just that moment, but in in various understandings where whenever she did approach, as much as the other youth sometimes were intimidated by her, it's because she would approach them. But she never did so in a judgmental way. She never did so in a way that says, hey, I have a problem with you and you're in trouble with me. She always did so with an illustration or with, with, with a word that wanted to get their input and say, hey, what, but let's frame this and how we relate to God. And I love that about her. It was far, more, far better than just a scowl or a, uh, are you really going to do that? Are you really that kind of a person? And in Galatians 6, as, as Paul is wrapping up his letter here, and he's just talked to him about what the grace of God looks like and that we're called to love our neighbor He says, you're going to catch people in transgressions. You're going to catch people in sin. You're going to catch people doing things that seems to separate them from God or seems to be a barrier between who they could be with God and what God wants for them in their life. Now, I know I just did the most like innocuous, simple illustration a a moment ago. But when we think sin and we think transgression, we think something so much greater than that, right? But he says to them, nonetheless... Take care to treat them with gentleness. God's grace in our life is not an excuse for looks of condescension. They're not excuses for, for putting somebody in their place, for saying, hey, you have to measure up before you can come here. He he does warn them, hey, make sure you're not tempted, but when you find this within the people in your church... We are bearing with one another and we are being gentle and we are doing everything we can to lift each other up and to fix those burdens. Whenever there is sin or transgression in life, there's burdens too. And I think sometimes it's hard for us to remember that. We, when we see that someone else has messed up, we say to ourselves, oh man, well that's just who they are. That's just what they do. 
but usually behind each and every sin or each and every transgression, between each and every kind of, oh, I don't know if I, if I can draw near to God or if I want to draw near to God, there is some burden that gets in the way. And he says to the church, we are a people who carry each other's burdens. We don't just look at someone and say, oh, is that what you're doing? No, we come alongside and we help every, any way that we can. In fact, when, when he talks about the work of the church and talks about what they are doing, he says, take pride in your work. He says to them, uh, uh, you, you're not just going to worry about what your neighbor's doing or what their work is, but you're going to worry about your own work and you're going to take pride in that. And I think we're used to saying, hey, when we take pride in our work, we think of self-sufficiency. But I think when Paul says, hey, we're going to take pride in our work, I think he means the work of lifting each other up. I think that's the work he ultimately wants us to take pride in. That, that the greatest work we can do is the work against lifting ourselves up above others. In, in, a, in an illustration that Jesus gave to his disciples, he would say, you know, you're looking at the problems that your neighbor has. The speck in their eye, what isn't working out for them. And he says to them, but you've got like a plank in your own eye. You have to do some own work and what God needs to do in your life because we are bearing each other up. We're not pointing fingers. This is what he says to the church. Now, I know when it comes to sins and transgressions in the church, it's easy for us to say, but there might be some really serious issues. Some really serious issues. And, and for me, growing up in the 90s, it seemed to be it was clothing. But there might be some real serious issues today that we have to become defenders of the faith. We have to make sure that uh, they're in the right spot. But what he says to us is, don't be deceived. God will not be mocked. Whatever you think is going to uh, move against God, whatever you think you have to make sure you defend to, to somehow hold God up, God is not able to be mocked. Uh, to, to say that, hey, I have to defend God against X, Y, or Z, or against this sin or that sin, is a way of saying, if it isn't for me, everything we know about God might change. But what we know about God, according to Scripture, is He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And that through all the centuries, indeed the millennia, that our God has not changed despite all the various transgressions and sins that have taken place within the church, taken place in our world, that have taken place during this time. Our God is still defined by the work of His Spirit among His people, loving, saving, and redeeming. And so when we become oh, the, the great defenders, make sure He's never mocked, we are acting in the flesh. When, when, we, when we say, uh, oh, we've got to make sure you're holy enough before you can get close, we've got to make sure you fit these parameters before you can uh, be a part of the church, we are acting in the flesh. But if we love, if we are inviting people to redemption, then we are acting in the Spirit of God, Paul says. Also, uh, in the 90s, a, a new thing started. Something new that would change the world. It was called email. Remember that? When that first started, email. It was, it was amazing. It was amazing. I remember people were saying things like, oh, I don't have to wait a week for the letter to get there. I can just send the email. And they get it in like two minutes. It was amazing. And then um, 
servers were slower then. I know we get them in like two seconds now. Like two minutes would be unheard of. <laughs> uh, but uh, we were like, oh, this is amazing. Oh, and I called them. I couldn't get a hold of them. They weren't home. And I had something I really need to tell I'll send them an email, and then they can respond when they need to, because I couldn't fit all the words, you know, in that 30-second recording. And so we'd send them an email. It was amazing. And then in the 90s, we had that whole thing of as, as email was starting to grow, you know, that whole struggle of, wait, do I actually have to check this every day? <laughs> and so, like, like this, this was part of, like, the, the discovery of the 90s, is email was this new thing. But one of the things we... We, we, we figured out very quickly was in typing out emails, there, there were some people who inadvertently seemed to leave their caps lock button on. <laughs> Remember that? They would leave their, that on and we'd get these long emails. Most of the time they were forwards, but sometimes there were conversations in full caps lock and, and it just was like glaring to the eye and it became a part of the culture Whenever you are sending someone a message that it became understood, if you want to be emphatic, there are ways to do that. There's bold, there's underlined, there's italics, but all caps is considered shouting. If you, if you write in all caps, you are yelling at the recipient, and that became kind of the culture of it. And I still remember my first pastor, I had this lady who was emailing me all the time, and it was always in all caps, and I was like, I don't think she knows. <laughs> and so I still remember, I remember sitting with her, I'm like, hey, just so you know, uh, I got your email, I've been reading them. Um, you don't have to do that in all caps. In fact, a lot of times it's considered like yelling or something. Just, okay, thank you. Thank you for sharing with me. And so I said, okay, good, this is great. Next email I get, all caps. <laughs> I'm like, oh dear, now I don't even know. Is this on purpose or not? And so, uh, so but, but you, start to, you start to learn that. And Paul says to the church in Galatians, I've spent this entire time telling you the most important thing is the love of Jesus. The most important thing uh, about the gospel is the love of Jesus. The most important thing for us as we live in this gospel is to love our neighbor as ourself. And then he says in verse 11, See what large letters I make when I'm writing in my own hand. Paul is shouting the closing. He's like, this is the most important thing I can say to you. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh that try to compel you to be circumcised, to, to live according to the law, because this was the issue of their time. Their issue was, you have to make sure you abide by this one law. And if you don't abide by this, you can't be a part of the faith. And he says in all caps, he's like, those people, they are living in the flesh. And he can't say it loudly enough. The law you think matters doesn't matter as much as the law to love your neighbor. And, and I think a lot of times we think we know what flesh means when he says things like what, what he said before. Hey, uh, if you sow to, to your own flesh, you're going to reap the corruption from your flesh. But if you sow to the Spirit... You'll reap eternal life from the Spirit. And a lot of times when we think, oh, we know what living by the flesh is. Living by the flesh is things like lust and indulgence. And we can all agree, like, cheating on your spouse is a bad thing. Uh, we can all understand, like, constantly indulging and feeding your face is a bad thing. You know, or, or, or at least a doctor will tell us that it's a bad thing. We, we, we can talk to someone in rehab and find out that, yeah, just living for the moment with whatever means we want to live in the moment with can be a very bad thing. So when we think acts of the flesh, we think those kinds of things. And so then it's very easy that, uh, uh, for us to say, okay, okay, those are easy restrictions to put up. And so I think Paul here 
is just a master orator. And just, just a great, like he, he knows rhetoric really well. And so I think even if the Holy Spirit wasn't at work preserving his writings for us today, I think even his, uh, his rhetoric would help this letter to last because he starts off by saying, hey, this, you know, we are against the works of the flesh. We are against the works of the flesh. And the people in Galatia are like, yeah, we are. We got all kinds of laws to make sure we're against the works of the flesh. And then he says, in all caps, and the works of the flesh are precisely the laws you are trying to enact. And it's like, it's like jarring. It's like, wait, what? And, and, and the law example he uses is one that has to do with flesh. But he says, you think you are preserving, but what you are doing by saying you have to make sure you fit this law is you are living according to the flesh. You're living, again, according to the... Uh, uh, I think I know what's best for what it takes to follow God, or I think I know what's best for the church. But living in the Spirit is loving our neighbor and accepting the grace of God is still at work. And so he says, if there are any marks of the flesh to boast about, it is only the marks of Christ, the one who is crucified for us. In fact, he says, I wear the marks of Christ. Now, I think when he says, I, I bear the marks of Christ, I don't know at this point whether or not he's been flogged yet for the gospel. I don't know at this point how much he's been punished. I don't know if he means literally, I have marks. But what he's saying is, the greatest mark, the greatest symbol of who we are as Christians is going to be in sharing and expressing the love of Christ. For there is neither circumcision or uncircumcision. No, none of that matters. Just new creation is everything. And so he wishes peace, and he wishes mercy, and he wishes that even on the people who are saying, you must meet these measurements. He is saying, no, I'm going to wish peace and mercy on you because that's precisely what I'm asking you to do for the Gentiles in your area. And so, uh, the mark of Jesus branded on his body is the love for his neighbor that God's Holy Spirit has given him. And it's my hope that that will be our mark as well when it comes to how do I show that I'm a Christian? How do I know that I'm a Christian? What are my expectations for my Christians, brothers and sisters? That will simply be to love as God has loved to show grace that is just as amazing as the grace that He has shared with us. And I suspect if there is someone here today or watching who, who hears this and can think, but I have experienced Christianity that is precisely not that. Where I have friends who I know who have been hurt by it, or I know uh, churches who have uh, uh, said exactly the opposite and have said, you have to meet this and that. And I suspect at that moment, I, I kind of want to go back to something Paul said a few verses earlier. God is not mocked. And those churches that have denied loving our neighbor as ourselves have done the greatest mocking. They have made a mockery out of His grace. They have made a mockery out of what God has done in Jesus Christ on the cross. But yet, our God is bigger than all of that. 
And to that, I want to say that God's grace is still present and available for us today. And that we are always and at all times able to return and receive that our God's love is greater than that which has happened. In a moment, uh, we're going to receive communion. We're going to, we're going to sing the hymn, Near the Cross. And that is a, a very traditional hymn that I have, I have sung at funerals. I have sung every Good Friday. It is a way of remembering the sacrifice that Christ has made. But when we come forward and receive the, the symbols of Christ's sacrifice, and when we sing that song this morning, I wonder if we might, while we're singing that, remember that as we draw near to the cross, the greatest mark, the greatest sign of that cross that we can bear as we've drawn near is the same sacrificial love for our world that our Christ has had for us, that we would do so without reservation, without previous judgment, and say, whatever it is today that is our issue, we will be a people of love before we let anything else get in the way. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, it is my hope and it is my prayer today that um, your Holy Spirit will speak to our hearts, that your Holy Spirit would remind us how deep your love is for us, how immense your grace, that we might find indeed that it doesn't matter how far we have gone away or, how, or, or to what extent we have thought, okay, God, I, I don't know if, if this is for me. I've seen too many bad examples. I've seen too many people like the Galatians that Paul is writing to. Yet your love is still there. There fleshly acts of making people live up to it or cannot mock you. Heavenly Father, today I, I pray for those watching or perhaps here, Lord, who, who need to hear that your grace is there for them. Heavenly Father, for this church, I thank you. Lord, I have seen examples time and again of, of grace and love, of support, of bearing one another. And Heavenly Father, I pray that that call continues to just flow out of the love that you've had for us. Lord, that we would continue to keep that first and center and not be confused, not be dissuaded from a world around us that is very quick to point fingers and point out where people fall short. Heavenly Father, help us to remember your love and your grace. I pray these things in the name of the one crucified for us who loved us all the way to the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. We hope this sermon has encouraged you with the gospel of Jesus. More sermons are available online at our website, capenazarene.org. May God bless you abundantly as you serve Him today.